Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. A bear market hits Wall Street as stocks dive, while the Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates tomorrow. All this stoking fears a recession is coming. A new ruling from the Supreme Court it would make it harder for those held in immigration detention to bring legal challenges. A bipartisan bill aimed at reining in big tech giants gains the support of smaller tech companies like Spotify, Yelp, and DuckDuckGo, while big tech continues to fight it. The Supreme Court rules against a Chinese company in a commercial dispute with an American company. Find out which side is pleased with the decision. The S&P 500 has officially dipped into a bear market. It's the first time since 2020 when pandemic restrictions hit Wall Street. And tomorrow, the Federal Reserve is expected to increase interest rates even more. All this could signal a recession is coming. NTD's Jessica Beatty explains. Not everyone's smiling about Monday's closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange. The S&P 500 officially fell into a bear market. That means the index has dipped at least 20% below its most recent high. You can't ignore the significance Ed of Ed Moya is a senior market analyst at Owanda. He says what we're seeing in the stock market is a de-risking moment on Wall Street. And a lot of that is um, because there's this belief that uh, because inflation is, is ending up being a lot hotter than anyone expected, uh, that the, the Fed will have to be much more aggressive with their tightening of monetary policy. Investors are worried the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates even more to fight inflation at its meeting Wednesday. Fears are growing that interest rate hikes could trigger a recession. The problem is that the Fed was laden with fighting inflation, and, and now um, they're, they're kind of scrambling. And, and the, the, the opportunity to begin tightening um, was there. Um, you, you can make the argument that they should have been raising rates at the beginning of the year. The S&P 500 joins the NASDAQ, which is already in a bear market. All eyes are on the Dow Jones to see if it'll be next. According to Epic Times business reporter Andrew Moran, in the past 50 years, there's only been one bear market without a recession. Zachary Hill is head of portfolio management at Horizon Investments. He says if there is a recession... We think it's going to be a short and shallow one. And, and the reason that we, that we think that is there's no uh, you know, real obvious imbalances in the, in the real economy. The White House said Monday it thinks Americans are in a good position to face economic challenges. The way that we see this is that the American people are well positioned uh, to face these challenges because of the economic historic uh, gains that we have made uh, under this president. The Fed scheduled to make its next policy announcement Wednesday. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. The Supreme Court released several rulings Monday, including two cases involving illegal immigration. These would impact illegal immigrants who are challenging their detention in the U.S. Here are the details. The Supreme Court ruled unanimously in Johnson versus Artiga Martinez on Monday that the federal government is not required to conduct a bond hearing for non-U.S. citizens detained for six months on immigration-related grounds. This makes it harder for those held in immigration detention to bring legal challenges to their detention. The case involved a Mexican national who was deported in 2012. He later re-entered the U.S. and was detained for four months. He challenged his detention through the legal system. The other case, Garland v. Aleman Gonzalez, also involves immigration. The court ruled that the Immigration and Nationality Act doesn't give federal district courts jurisdiction to consider detainees' requests for injunctive relief in class actions. Justices Sonia Sotomayor, Stephen Breyer, and Elena Kagan dissented. 
Dale Wilcox, executive director and general counsel of the Immigration Law Reform Institute, hailed the new court decisions. He told the Epic Times, quote, The detention of removable aliens, whether they are illegal aliens or criminal aliens, is fundamentally different from detention as a sentence for a crime. We are pleased that the court reached the right result here and squelched these lawsuits. And down at the southern border, a nonprofit organization in Del Rio, Texas, is providing food and coordinating travel for illegal immigrants. NTD's Jason Perry spoke to a border expert who traveled to the area to find out more. In Del Rio, Texas, illegal immigrants are dropped off on the grounds of a nonprofit organization called Valverde Humanitarian Border Coalition. Here, the organization helps coordinate illegal aliens' travels to various cities throughout the United States. Todd Benzman, who is a senior fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and the author of America's Covert Border War, recently visited this location. You can actually see in this one spot and in my video where Border Patrol pulls up in a big white bus right next to a Greyhound bus. The Border Patrol bus disgorges all of its immigrants fresh from the facility and the Greyhound buses, like a couple hours later, they're getting on. So it literally is off and then on to this, these buses all day long. Two of the illegal immigrants shared where they were from. Cuba. Cuba. Workers who appear to be part of the nonprofit organization hand out sandwiches to the illegal border crossers waiting to travel. Benzman then spoke to a gentleman from Cuba who was waiting to get on the bus. Are you happy? Very happy, man. Yeah, why are you happy? Because I'm afraid of God. My name is George. What's going to happen now? I go to my well, my sister home in Florida. And uh, will you, America let you stay here forever? Yeah. Yeah, you think? Yeah, forever? I think forever. You're going to go to, why do you think that? Oh, because, because it's a very good continent. But migrants from some countries can't enter the U.S. so easily. On the other side of the border, Benzman found several Hondurans and Guatemalans who were deported under Title 42. So the losers in all this are still some nationalities that are being pushed back under Title 42, the pushback uh, policy, and those are going to be typically Hondurans, Guatemalans, and El Salvadorans, families, singles, everybody. Uh, for some reason, that has to do with Mexico's willingness to accept them back because then Mexico can in turn easily return them to their home countries. Uh, those ones are still being held in Mexico and of course they're very upset about this because they're seeing everybody else get welcomed in, big welcome wagon over there and they're on the buses but they're ending up back in Mexico again and again. So they just keep trying and trying against all hope that maybe they'll be let in the next time. But Benzman says people from many other countries are still accepted. And he said that the threat to our national security is significant because terrorists know the border is open. Jason Perry, NTD News. And speaking of migration to the U.S., a federal judge recently sided with Texas and Louisiana officials. The move stops the Biden administration from narrowing who immigration agents can target and deport. And we also hear again from Todd Benzman, who offers insight into the caravan of mostly Central American and Venezuelan migrants that has crossed into Mexico. Please welcome Todd Benzman, who's a senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. Thanks for coming on the show, Todd. 
Great to be here. Thank you. Now, over the weekend, Mexican authorities said they gave out 7,000 temporary documents and visas and that the migrant caravan has mostly dispersed. What do we expect to see going forward? Well, everyone in that caravan is crossing the border now. The Mexican government has been doing what uh, we call, what I call and have written about, ant operations, which is a way of uh, describing drug trafficking operations typically, which is, you know, to say that cartels will move their drugs in small groups on many different trails, like an ant operation. Uh, if one gets disrupted, the rest make it, but ultimately nobody can really see what's happening. And I think that's the goal here. The Mexican government at least five times in the last year has moved hundreds of thousands of immigrants from its southern border that it's supposed to be turning back into Guatemala. They're not supposed to be taking migrants uh, and moving them north like in the bad old days. Under an agreement with the Biden administration, they're supposed to hold the line on their south. But instead, what they're doing is they're, they're provisioning thousands and thousands of illegal immigrants are on their way to the U.S. border with these documents that allow them to be in the country and travel anywhere in Mexico that they want. By issuing a 1,000 or 2,000 of these visas each day and sending them to different places along the border, we don't see a big political problem of a caravan with that attracts media attention. We are are not able to see them anymore. They they blend into the general uh, flow of people that are crossing, not as a big caravan. And I think that's the point of ant operations and why the Mexican government is doling out these visas, a thousand or two thousand a day. That is has been happening for the last year, and I think we can expect the ant operations from Mexico's southern border to continue. Every caravan that forms will be dispersed like this to our border in a way that we can't object to because we don't see it. And Todd, you've spent a lot of time on the ground at the border and in Mexico speaking with Mexican officials. Why do you think they've decided to go this route? Well, caravans are a, a terrible political blight for the Biden administration or whatever administration is in office that you know, nobody wants to have a repeat of what happened in November 2018 when the very first caravans actually hit the Tijuana border, uh, Tijuana-San Diego border area. And, you know, ICE was firing tear gas, CBP was firing, you know, rubber bullets and pepper spray and dispersing. And it was this terrible political uh, look. Also, nobody wants to see a big Del Rio migrant camp crisis type situation where you have thousands and thousands of migrants all camped on the riverbank in one spot. That is a, a media magnet. All of these things are media magnets. And I think that both sides don't mind having hundreds of thousands of immigrants crossing the southern border as long as nobody can really see it. It doesn't attract media attention. And I think that's really uh, it's 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 an optics operation. It's public affairs 101. Todd Bensman at the Center for Immigration Studies, thank you so much for your analysis. Thanks for having me. 
Illegal immigrant residents of Massachusetts have won their long-wage bid for driver's licenses from the state. That's after the state legislature overrode the governor's veto. The new Massachusetts law is called the Work and Family Mobility Act. It will go into effect on July 1, 2023. Under the law, illegal immigrants living in Massachusetts will still have to pass both a written and road test before obtaining a license. The measure garnered the backing of a majority of the state's sheriffs and district attorneys. The bill's supporters say it will make roadways safer throughout America. Republican Governor Charlie Baker said in a statement that he opposed the measure out of concern it could potentially lead to non-citizens registering to vote. Republican State Senator Bruce Tarr voted against the override of the veto. He says giving illegal residents driver's licenses sends a message that it's okay to come to America and break the law and that doing so will be rewarded. The January 6th committee on Monday put the spotlight back on the 2020 election. Officials testifying say they have debunked Trump's allegations about fraud, but an attorney still fighting in a related case tells us another story. Entity's Iris Tao has more. In its second hearing, the January 6th committee on Monday tried to make the case that former President Donald Trump promoted what the panel called false voter fraud claims in the 2020 election. And in doing so, lit the fuse that led to the horrific violence of January 6th. The committee also played video testimony of former Attorney General Bill Barr, who said he told Trump that such claims were false. I mean, that the claims of fraud were bullshit, and, uh, you know, he was indignant about that. Also among those from Trump's inner circle testifying was B.J. Pack, a former U.S. attorney in Atlanta. He disputed allegations that a suitcase of ballots had been illegally added to the vote count. We interviewed, the FBI interviewed the individuals that are depicted in the, the videos. Uh, that purportedly were double, triple counting of the ballots and determined that uh, nothing irregular happened in the counting. But Trump blasted the panel on Sunday, accusing it of, quote, not hearing from anyone saying the election was rigged and stolen, despite the evidence. Others are also speaking out. We spoke with Stephanie Lambert, the attorney in a pending case in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, in which several Republicans are alleging fraud in the 2020 election. There's so much more evidence. Uh, I'm very familiar with fraud. I, I know it when I see it. It exists. It happened, um, and I'm happy to move forward and litigate this case for my clients. Meanwhile, the next hearing is slated for Wednesday, in which panel members say they'll talk about Trump's broader planning for January 6th. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Former President Donald Trump has issued a 12-page rebuttal calling the January 6th committee hearings a smoke-and-mirror show to distract from economic and social upheavals under the Biden administration. President Trump said, quote, 17 months after the events of January 6th, Democrats are unable to offer solutions. They are desperate to change the narrative of a failing nation without even making mention of the havoc and death caused by the radical left just months earlier, end quote. Trump was referring to the often destructive protests that raged across the country in 2020. The January 6th committee has so far held two hearings on the Capitol breach. Critics say the hearings are overtly partisan. The House Select Committee says that Trump is responsible for the events at the Capitol that occurred on January 6, 2021. Supreme Court justices have decided whether a Chinese manufacturer can use the U.S. legal system to press an American firm for evidence. Here are the details. 
The Supreme Court ruled unanimously on Monday that Chinese electronics manufacturer LuxShare is not allowed to use the U.S. legal system to compel evidence from Michigan-based auto parts maker ZF Automotive in private arbitration taking place overseas. LuxShare is disputing the value of assets of a business unit in ZF's German parent company that LuxShare purchased in 2017. LuxShare claims it was misled about how much money two of ZF's businesses made. A U.S. District Court in Detroit approved a request to subpoena ZF Automotive and ordered it to hand over the relevant documents to LuxShare. But the Supreme Court blocked the lower court's order and ruled that federal district courts are unable to compel discovery in an arbitration case outside the U.S. governed by a private organization. ZF Automotive says they are thrilled with the decision. Counsel for the company, Roman Martinez, told the Epoch Times, quote, This opinion will ensure that parties to foreign commercial arbitrations will not be able to improperly take advantage of discovery in U.S. courts and will have immediate impact on a broad range of current and future international arbitrations. Dozens of companies, including Spotify and Yelp, sent a letter to U.S. senators on Monday. They're encouraging support for a bill aimed at reining in big tech companies such as Amazon and Alphabet's Google. A groundbreaking bipartisan bill aimed at reining in big tech now has the support of smaller tech companies and several other businesses. The legislation, sponsored by Democrat Amy Klobuchar and Republican Chuck Grassley, aims to prevent companies like Apple and Facebook from favoring their own businesses on their platforms. That's music to the ears of Spotify, Yelp, and search engine DuckDuckGo, who are among the companies behind a letter sent Monday in support of the bill, calling it moderate and sensible, and, quote, aimed squarely at well-documented abuses by the very largest online platforms. They urged the Senate to pass the measure, saying it would modernize antitrust laws so smaller companies have space to compete. But big tech has launched a media blitz aimed at derailing the legislation, saying it jeopardizes things like Amazon Prime, which offers customers free shipping for an annual fee, or the popular consumer product Google Maps. The Senate will likely vote on the bill this summer, where it is expected to pass, followed by a House vote on the measure. Multiple outlets are reporting that Google suspended an engineer. He claimed one of the company's AI systems had gained consciousness. The unreleased artificial intelligence system is called Lambda, which stands for Language Model for Dialogue Applications. Such systems can write and answer questions in ways that seem human. The engineer, Blake Lemoine, reportedly told the Washington Post he gave Google evidence that Lambda was sentient. In a statement, Google said it reviewed Lemoine's concerns and told him the evidence didn't support his claim. Last week, he posted on Medium that Google put him on paid administrative leave. A Google spokesperson confirmed Lemoine is on administrative leave. According to the Washington Post, he was put on leave for violating the company's confidentiality policy. Lemoine wasn't available for comment on Monday. And coming up, a 57-year-old camper is arrested after another Arizona wildfire starts, but his lawyer says he's not responsible for the blaze. Find out more right here on NTD News. The company at the center of the U.S. baby formula shortage plans to join the efforts to ship in formula from overseas. The FDA and Abbott Nutrition announced that Abbott will ship 1.1 million pounds of baby formula from Spain starting this month. 
The products will come from its manufacturing plant in Granada. The shipments will equal more than 680,000 cans of formula and will include products for premature babies and infants with sensitive stomachs. Abbott says their products have undergone microbiological testing. Earlier this year, Abbott's Michigan plant was shut down and products were recalled after two infants died from a bacterial infection. The announcement says a portion of the inventory will go to help areas dealing with a low supply for the federal WIC program, which helps low-income women and children. Meanwhile, more baby formula is coming into the U.S. from another source. Nine Operation Fly Formula flights are set to land this week. Eight of the flights are coming from London, carrying Kendamil infant formula. Those will be distributed to Target stores across the country. One flight is carrying Bubs Australia infant formula. That will be sent to Walmart, Albertsons, and Kroger locations. In total, the equivalent of nearly 4 million 8-ounce bottles of infant formula will be coming to the U.S. this week. Several hundred homes on the outskirts of Flagstaff, Arizona, were evacuated and a ski resort closed as a precaution against a wildfire. It's the second to hit the area this year. Many of our residents have not only been impacted now, but this is the second time they've been impacted by a fire in just the last month. And we all have felt the pain of watching our beautiful mountain burning. We uh, responded with several deputies who were close in the area, and they uh, were able to make a traffic stop on a suspicious vehicle that was reported, possibly related to the starting this Crews were expecting wind gusts of up to 50 miles per hour as they battled the blaze. The fire was reported on Sunday and has burned about eight square miles. No homes have yet been lost. The U.S. Forest Service cited a 57-year-old camper for lighting toilet paper on fire near the origin of the wildfire. The fire was reported a day later. Court documents show the man told authorities he tried to put the fire out with his sleeping bag. His attorney said in federal court that it doesn't mean his client was responsible for sparking the blaze. Columns of smoke could be seen coming from a wildfire on California's Pinion Hills on Monday. Authorities have issued evacuation orders in the path of a wildfire that broke out over the weekend northeast of Los Angeles. The San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office ordered evacuations for Wrightwood, a ski town of about 4,500 people along the Pacific Crest Trail. The so-called Sheep Fire erupted on Saturday evening in the Angeles National Forest. It burned across about 1,000 acres of brush and vegetation as of Monday afternoon. The area has been left parched by an ongoing drought plaguing California and much of the U.S. Southwest. The blaze was listed as only 5% contained as of Monday morning. Nearly 700 firefighters were hampered by flames burning in dense vegetation and steep terrain fanned by erratic winds. Fire managers say no casualties had been reported and no structures burned, but down power lines were hampering communication. Video captured the moment a house fell into the Yellowstone River in Gardiner, Montana on Monday. The area has endured record flooding and rock slides. Yellowstone National Park took the rare step of closing all five of its entrances. The entire park, spanning parts of Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, will remain closed to visitors, including those with lodging and camping reservations, at least through tomorrow. That's so officials can inspect damage to roads, bridges, and other facilities. 
The closures come as Yellowstone was gearing up to celebrate its 150th anniversary and as local communities that depend on tourism were counting on a rebound following COVID-19 travel restrictions over the past two summers. Officials from Yosemite National Park are asking for help from the public in tracking down vandals. Rangers found about 30 areas of graffiti sprayed along the Yosemite Falls Trail last month. The National Park Service posted these pictures of the damage to Facebook Sunday. It shows rocks damaged by blue and white spray paint. Some of the damage is as large as 8 by 8 feet. This is the latest in a number of graffiti-related incidents reported inside U.S. National Parks. Last December, a group of names were carved into a rocks at Texas's Big Bend National Park, permanently damaging them. The U.S. Coast Guard on Monday rescued four contestants in a boat race. That's after their sailboats capsized during a race from Washington State to Alaska. Event organizers said the occupants on seven boats dropped out of the race because of rough waters northwest of Seattle. Three contestants were hoisted from the water by the U.S. Coast Guard, and one was rescued by a boat operated by race organizers. Local media reported that all four were taken to a hospital after showing signs of hypothermia. The Coast Guard said the remaining participants took shelter near Protection Island or returned to land. A Coast Guard patrol boat remained in the area and was ready to respond. The event is in its sixth year. It draws contestants from across the country. The race goes from Port Townsend, Washington to Ketchikan, Alaska. Competitors use non-motorized vessels that are completely self-supported. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, Ukraine's beaches in Odessa remain closed and filled with landmines, and the local tourism economy is suffering. Last month, the Black Sea port city was hit with Russian missiles. And Sweden says it is prepared to defend a key island in the Baltic Sea as the country participates in joint military exercises and hopes for NATO membership. We'll have all that and more for you after this short break. Ukraine's port city of Odessa is set to take a huge hit to its tourism industry. Reeling from the war, the local beaches lie empty, except for landmines. The once busy Black Sea beaches in the Ukrainian resort Odessa are deserted. The white sand where tourists used to sunbathe is now littered with mines, while police patrol the boardwalks. In early May, Russian forces pounded the port with missiles, leaving buildings in Odessa in ruin. Reeling from the war, the local economy is now set to take a huge hit to its tourism industry this year. Ukraine's military planted mines along the coast of the southwestern port city in case of a Russian amphibious assault, cordoning off the beaches to ensure civilians don't get hurt. Military spokeswoman for the region, Natalia Humanik, says the measures are a necessary sacrifice to aid the war effort. We realise that tourism and the recreational business are an important element for the economy. But we also realise that if we don't hold the defence of our region, there will be no economy. So we try to find a maximum compromise to give business a possibility to function without hurting the economy. No foreigners are arriving on Odessa's beaches for a holiday. 
leaving just internally displaced people, aid workers and journalists. All Group's tourism office owner, Alexander Babich, says he works for for free in a display of charity and gratitude. Tourism, you understand, is not only about street tours. It's hotels, restaurants, souvenirs, all kinds of beach services. It's things related to the cultural sector. Theatres are actively visited during the summer season, different concerts. It was very big money. I don't know how the city economy will do without them. Some residents can't imagine life without the sea and sand, leading to reports of rule breakers dipping their toes into the water under the cover of night. But others say that summering on the beach is a small price to pay for advancing the war effort. A two-week-long military drill in the Baltic Sea has taken on greater significance this year. It's taking place on the Swedish island of Gotland as Sweden awaits the outcome of its bid to join NATO. The country's naval forces are joined by 15 other sovereignties, including the UK and the US. NTD's Eddie Aitken has this report. Sweden is preparing to defend the strategically significant Baltic Sea island Gotland. More than 7,000 sailors, airmen and marines from 16 nations are taking part in a two-week U.S.-led Baltic operations drill. It includes Finland and Sweden, both aspiring to join the alliance. I'm feeling re really prepared. I mean, we have made a uh, big deployment on Gotland and we will defend Gotland. It's a really hard task to take a defended island. As part of the drill, forces performed an airdrop and an amphibious landing on Gotland. The annual Baltops naval exercise is not held in response to any specific threat, but the military alliance said that with both Sweden and Finland participating, NATO is seizing a chance in an unpredictable world to enhance its joint force resilience and strength. Finland and Sweden have participated in the Baltops naval drill since the mid-1990s. This year marks Sweden's Navy's 500th anniversary. What is important strategically to, from my perspective, is the ability to work with Sweden, to work with Finland, to work with the 14 other nations that are here, understanding how to work together so that whatever the crisis is, whether it's a weather-related crisis, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's something that an adversary does, it's important that we don't have to build that trust after the crisis has happened. We know how to work together beforehand. With a population of 58,000, Gotland has long been a prized strategic asset in the Baltic Sea. It first housed an infantry regiment in 1886. It was dismantled in 2005 but re-established in 2018, amid increased Russian military operations in the region following the country's annexation of Crimea in 2014. There are now around 400 Swedish soldiers on the island. Over the past years, Moscow has repeatedly warned Helsinki and Stockholm against joining NATO and warned of retaliatory measures if they did. The drill is set to complete in the German port of Kiel on Friday. Heidi Aitken, NTD News. Still to come, outrage spreads in China after a brutal attack. A woman was assaulted after rejecting a man's advances at a restaurant. Many are angry about police inaction. Find out more right here on NTD News. A senior U.S. official says the State Department could soon open its first embassy in the Maldives. The Maldives is comprised of over 1,000 islands in the Indian Ocean and crisscrosses global shipping lanes. 40% of global trade and 60% of global energy passes through the Maldives. 
The U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for South and Central Asian Affairs is Donald Liu. He says he's concerned that Beijing might try to increase its presence in the country, and he says that would spell trouble for the interests of the U.S. and its partners. President Biden is expected to soon announce his nomination for the first U.S. ambassador to the Maldives. The U.S. has had a low-level presence in the Maldives since 2004 when a U.S. mission opened there. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visited the nation during the Trump administration. Liu told the House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee the matter is urgent, and he said the administration is looking to open the embassy as soon as possible. A graphic video has spread like wildfire on Chinese social media. A woman was brutally attacked while dining at a restaurant simply because she rejected a man's advances. Many are now lashing out at the police for taking action only after the incident went viral. And we want to warn you that some viewers may find this report disturbing. A late night dinner turned violent in northern China. Graphic surveillance video of what follows unleashed fear and outrage across China. It shows a man approaching one of the women. He touches her back. An unwanted advance. She pushes him away. He slaps her in response. The assault escalates. A scuffle breaks out as she and her friends try to defend themselves. The woman is dragged outside by her hair. Hit with a beer bottle, the men relentlessly kick her. As one yells, beat her to death. Her friend's head hits the pavement with a thud. The viral video sparked uproar, not just over the brazen brutality of the attack, but the indifference from bystanders, with only women seen intervening. A woman at the scene called the police and told authorities the following, according to state media. Before this happened, I always thought that going out to dinner at night was a perfectly normal thing. But now, I have some sort of PTSD. These men feel they could just freely attack a woman in such a public place was because so many men in the past who have done the same. So the men feel, you know, I can do the same without any consequences. Attacks like this are horrific and horrible to watch, but Chinese social media is flooded with them. And activists say, we cannot look away. Violence against women is rampant in China. Video from earlier this year in Xi'an shows a man viciously punching his wife while she holds their child in her lap. The man later pins his wife down and continues to punch her head. The man was suspended by his company after the footage went viral, according to state media, and police said they detained him for five days. Another shows a man kicking and punching a woman in broad daylight in 2020. State media reported the man was investigated, but it's unclear if any legal action was taken. Domestic violence was only made punishable by law in 2016. Physical abuse was not even grounds for divorce before 2001. So far, authorities have detained nine people involved in the restaurant incident. Authorities claim the woman and her friend are in stable condition. Yet unverified videos show what is believed to be one of their brutally beaten bodies lying motionless on a gurney in the hospital, bloodied and bandaged, her helplessness resonating across China. Hong Kong residents said their goodbyes to the iconic Jumbo Seafood restaurant today as it was towed away by tugboats from its home of 46 years. 
many people flocked to the city's Aberdeen Harbor to take photos and bid farewell to the landmark. It resembles a Chinese imperial palace and has welcomed celebrities such as Queen Elizabeth II and Tom Cruise since 1976. Giannis Yu said she had dined at the restaurant with her parents when she was a child. She said it was a pity to see landmarks gradually vanishing. In 2020, Jumbo ceased operations due to the CCP virus outbreak. After months of COVID-19 restrictions, its parent company was unable to find a new owner and didn't have the funds to maintain it. It is unclear where Jumbo will birth next. Its parent company told public broadcaster RTHK it has secured a parking spot for Jumbo outside Hong Kong while it awaits a new operator. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, the majority hold on power of Emmanuel Macron's centrist party is threatened after the most recent parliamentary election. A record low number of residents came out to vote. And a heat wave in Spain comes before the official start of summer and leaves residents sweltering. It's the country's earliest heat wave in over 40 years. Stay tuned for more right after this short break. French voters were called to cast their ballots for the parliamentary elections on Sunday. The first round of the elections saw a significant challenge to Macron's coalition from the left-wing bloc. The outcome might force the French president to make compromises. Entity's France correspondent David Vives has more details. Maybe it was the sunny weather that kept many French voters from casting ballots on the weekend. Or maybe the interest in politics just isn't there. Director of BVA polling group Adelaide Zulfikarpasik says Sunday's first round of France's parliamentary elections saw a record number of abstentions. I think that the first result, which seems important even though it's not the most positive one, is the large number of abstentions, with more than 52% of abstentions, so with less than one in two French choosing to vote for their representatives. It's an absolute record in the Fifth Republic. Zulfi Karpasik added, President Emmanuel Macron's centrist alliance faced a defeat in this first round. Macron's alliance of centrist parties won the first round of lower house elections by a razor-thin margin over Jean-Luc Mélenchon's leftist bloc. But main polling institutes say the president could still lose his grip on parliament in the final round of voting. Leftist leader Mélenchon won his bet to become the main opposition force of the country in parliament. With regards to this first round, the new popular ecological and social people's union Uber have come out on top and will be present in more than 500 constituencies in the second round. We hope our adversaries will be stunned. For the rest, the truth is that the presidential party, with regards to the first round, is beaten and defeated. With rampant inflation driving up the cost of living and eroding wages, Macron has struggled to build on his re-election in April. Mélenchon cast him as a free marketeer more intent on protecting the wealthy rather than families. Macron's ability to pass his reform agenda is now at stake. He will very likely need to form alliances with other smaller groups in the National Assembly to pass his bills, 
including a pension reform he says is essential to restore order in public finances. He may have an absolute majority, but not on his own. So it is a first defeat for the president, who would have preferred to be completely free to govern during these five upcoming years. Right-wing and nationalist parties are the main losers of this election. If we add their votes, they gathered around 34 percent. But contrary to Macron's other leftist coalition, they are scattered in four different groups. In the French system of parliamentary elections, this will disqualify them of counting as an opposition group. The second round of voting will be held this coming Sunday. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Spaniards reached for fountains, cold drinks, fans and air conditioning on Monday, all trying to cope with the country's earliest heat wave in more than 40 years. One dog owner said she's glad Madrid has so many parks, but it's still challenging for those who have to work in the heat. A cloud of hot air from North Africa has sent temperatures soaring, and this heat wave could last in most of Spain until the end of the week. That's a few days before summer officially starts on June 21st. Temperatures are surpassing 104 degrees Fahrenheit in parts of Spain, and the country's weather agency sent out a warning saying the heat wave could feel even worse due to sand and dust in the air from the Sahara. Some popular tourist destinations are used to high temperatures during the summer months, but they are even set to reach up to 109 degrees Fahrenheit in the coming days. The United Kingdom is implementing a law to protect elephants. It bans almost all ivory sales throughout the UK and carries huge potential fines for anyone importing, exporting and dealing in items containing elephant ivory. One of the biggest threats to elephants is the trade in ivory, the illegal trade in ivory. And by having no legal markets, you are closing doors for people to launder illegal ivory through those marketplaces. So you are giving them a bit of a reprieve. This law is a significant improvement on the previous ivory regulations, and we welcome it. But of course, we have uh, some reservations about not including non-elephant ivory species, for example. By only banning elephant ivory, Ivory from other animals such as walruses and hippos will increase in demand. It has taken four years for the Ivory Act to be enforced. According to campaign groups, some say the delay has allowed the ivory trade not only to continue, but to find new ways of exploiting animals. Elephants are the world's largest land mammal, but for decades their numbers have been declining due to poaching for their ivory tusks. The African forest elephant is now listed as critically endangered, and the African savanna elephant is endangered. The number of African forest elephants fell by more than 86% over a period of 31 years. The population of African savanna elephants decreased by at least 60% over the last 50 years. Some items can still be sold under an exemption from the law. These include portrait miniatures, musical instruments, and items with low ivory content, as well as sales to qualifying museums and rare items. Kevin Spacey has a court date in London this Thursday. The actor is charged with four counts of sexual assault against three men and a fifth charge involving sexual consent. The charges come after an investigation by UK officials. Two alleged incidents in London in 2005, another two in London in 2008, and one in Gloucestershire in 2013. Spacey has faced accusations of sexual misconduct before, 
but these are the first formal charges. In 2017, there were reports that he made the Netflix House of Cards set into a toxic work environment through a pattern of sexual harassment. That same year, a fellow actor claimed Spacey made a sexual advance toward him in 1986 when he was 14 years old. And still to come, a winery in northern Spain ages its bottles at the bottom of the ocean and says the salty waters of the Atlantic give the wines a unique flavor. And who wants to try out some delicious delicacies from around the world? NTD's Phil Zoe takes us on a fancy food tour. All that and more coming up in just a moment. On the East Coast, one of the biggest food expos in the entire world in New York City. NTD's Phil Zoe takes us on a tour trying out some of the fancy food from across the globe. We're at the Fancy Food Show in New York City, an expo showing off some of the best specialty foods across the globe. Fancy food. See, it's very fancy stuff over here. We'll be baking all day long, so come back, okay? <laughs> Australia, Iceland, Italy, and of course the United States. Everybody's here. Specialty food is often made in smaller batches using high-quality ingredients, so it usually costs more and is considered a highly-valued food item. I really would love for you to try our cakes and cookies. Say no more. After sipping on some black and white coffee, Jonathan Noah of A to Z Distributors shows me one of his most popular desserts. This is knafe, uh-huh. but instead of the original knafe, it's, it's, a, it's a baklava with a knafe top. Across the aisle at Boston Gourmet Chefs, the baked pastries are smelling really good. That's because they use a European-style butter called plugra butter, which has a higher fat content. Butter does smell good when it's baking, yeah. It's, that's like one of the main things when you're baking like fresh croissants or things like that, yep. Vegan and vegetarian foods are taking over the globe. David Bencher of Ali Processing tells me. And everything is vegetarian. Some of these items are vegan. We have the grilled steak, we have the Salisbury steak, we have the breaded chicken patties. Ready chicken nuggets, quite a very, very big item of ours. Next stop, drinks. How can you have fancy food without having some sparkling water? We just got into the spike business, so we're going to be going into more of a sparkling water made with real fruit, but adding um, a little bit of alcohol base. Now, who's ready for some snacks? Follow me. Wait, that's a pretty cool tagline. (laughs) We come up with a lot of fun names, and Tropic Like It's Hot is one of them. Alexandria tells me all about her so good freeze-dried fruit and vegetable snacks. So we are extremely innovative and dedicated to combating food waste. Over 40% of our fruits and veggies go to the landfill every year. So what do we do? We make shelf-stable products like our smoothies. You just blend with ice and water and that's it. And last but not least, time for some fancy dessert. Our latest bar that we've released is our theater bar. So buttered popcorn, cola, raisins, hazelnut praline, strawberry ice cream, cream, potato chips, peanut butter, and then caramelized saltines. The show is making its first return to New York since the CCP virus pandemic. The organizers tell me fancy food is here to stay. Of course, inflation is affecting everyone, and that is across the board. Um, Specialty food products tend to be a bit more expensive because of the quality of the production and the ingredients. So I do feel that the specialty food consumer is um, still going to be dedicated to buying those wonderful products. So what you saw earlier was just a fraction of what they offer here at the Fancy Food Show. They actually have nearly 2,000 specialty food companies here offering the latest food trends from baked goods to olive oil and what we saw earlier, flavored chocolate. That's right, butter popcorn and cola. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. 
a winery in northern Spain is aging its bottles at the bottom of the ocean. It says the salty waters of the Atlantic and the wildlife on the seabed give the wine a unique flavor. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Winemaker Borja Sarracho noticed that bottles of wine recovered from shipwrecks sold for high prices at auction. So, in 2010, he began a research project to test if the ocean could change wine for the better. Experts were invited to sample bottles aged in the sea and compare them to the same vintages left to mature on land. So for us, it was very curious see that uh, every time they saw that the color changed a little, the red wines turns to a more violet color, and the white wines turns to a more green color, and in the nose, they were quite different in different uh, aromas. What started as a research project has now become a commercial venture called Crusoe Treasure. The underwater winery is in the Bay of Plencia, just off Spain's north coast. White wines are aged for about six months at sea, while red wines typically spend 12 to 15 months under the waves. So because of the different factors affecting the evolution of the wine under the ocean, like the different change of pressure, uh, temperature, the, the lack or the less gravity that we suffer under the ocean, and the constant movement and the uh, uh, constant change of temperature, we have a different scenario, and that is working uh, in a different way with the wine. The winery is in a cool, dark area of the Atlantic Ocean. Water flowing from the nearby Plencia River helps maintain temperatures around the cages, and the current around it is rough, so clean water constantly washes over the bottles. Now we have a facility to store like 25,000 different bottles of wine. We are very proud of that, not only because of the wine evolution, because the marine life is living there, and every time that we dive there, it's, an, it's amazing because we are surrounded by uh, hundreds of different fish, you know. More bottles will soon be submerged, and we'll spend the next few months developing their unique ocean flavor. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Uber has released its annual Lost and Found Index, and it includes everything from tater tots to grandma's teeth. The most common items left behind by rideshare passengers include phones, wallets, keys, and ordinary items carried in their pockets. But the bizarre things left behind do include tater tots, caviar, a pet tortoise, and a bucket of slime, to name just a few. Austin, Texas saw the most items lost, but Phoenix and Atlanta also made the list. Uber releases the list every year to remind its customers that they can use their app to get their lost and found items back. The cost is $15 to cover the driver's time and effort. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.